Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. And we're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. Just wanna make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. My wife and I have had the incredible privilege of being entrusted by God to raise four of, in my opinion, the most amazing kids on planet Earth. I know every mom and dad think that about their kids, but uh, my kids a lot of times get their lives played out up here through sermons, and uh, you just need to know that we think we are super blessed with the kids that God has entrusted to us. And you know, when you raise kids, especially when you have the opportunity to raise four different children, you understand that every kid is different, right? They're not the same. There is no, this is how you parent, right? It depends on each kid and how they're wired and what motivates them and what encourages them and what inspires them. And you got to figure all that out as mom and dad. And Christy and I got started really young. We were 20. I was 20. She was 19 when we got married. Uh, then three months after getting married, our fabulous plan of waiting five years to begin to have children uh, radically changed. And we got pregnant three months into our new married lives and uh, a week after our first anniversary, a week and a half, we had our first little girl. So I was a dad uh, at 21 years old. And so then we said, all right, we're in it. Let's just stay in it. And uh, we had another one and another one. And by the time I was 25 years old, we had three kids. And when God called us here to Las Vegas, that's what we had. We had three children. And uh, we thought that we were done. We tried to have other kids and God had not allowed us. And so we just thought... That season of our lives is over. We take those three little kids. At the time, there were seven, five, and three. Load them up in a car. Relocate to Las Vegas, Nevada in 2000 to join God's activity of planting a new church. And after being here for a few years, the Lord had a little surprise for us. Uh, we have our native Nevadan, whose name is Faith. She came here in Las Vegas. She was born here in this city. And she became a part of our family. And, and that happened, though, several years. She was seven years the youngest from the youngest child. And so where the other three were obviously very different, now you have a new one who's not being raised around preschool kids. She's now being raised around teenagers, right? So by the time she gets old enough to kind of know what's going on, there's a few teenagers in the house. And so when you raise all preschoolers together... They're all living in the Barney world, right? At least that's where it was when my kids were little. It's probably something else now. I don't know what, they, what they're into now. But when I was little, when my kids were little, it was this big purple dinosaur. And that's what my ki older kids were all into. Well, faith comes along, and the older kids are not watching Barney. They're watching, uh, they're watching Star Wars, and they're watching superhero movies. And so she just grew up different than the other three. And because of that, one day we're in the car, and Christy, you may remember this, we were driving, and Faith is sitting in the car seat behind us, and she's probably four or five years old at this point, so a couple of teenagers in the house, and 
I'm trying to talk to her as I'm driving, looking in the rearview mirror and correcting something that, that, that she was doing. And she responds to me with this statement. Four years old. Dad, that's just how I roll. <laughs> now, my other three kids never said that at four, five, or six years old. But I got this four or five-year-old sitting in the back seat going, Dad, that's just how I roll. Now, she had heard that from her brothers and sisters, and in the coolest way she knew possible, she was trying to say, Dad, that's just how I live my life. Well, to the best of my knowledge, there is no chapter and verse in the Bible that says, this is how you roll. But. The Bible does have a lot to say about our walk. And when the Bible uses the word walk, to borrow the vernacular from my kids, it's talking about this is how you roll. It's the way you live. Let me give you some examples in the book of 1 John, where we're studying right now through the, through the book of 1 John. I want you to look at some examples of this word walk. 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Listen to what it says. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and yet, what's the next word? Walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we, say it out loud, walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. You hear him use the word walk. Then a little further down, 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. Look at this verse. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to, say it out loud, walk in the same manner as he said out loud, walked. 1 John chapter 2, verse 11, look what he says. But the one who hates his brother is in darkness and, say it out loud, walks in darkness. Over and over and over again, in this opening section of Scripture in the book of 1 John, we read this word, walk. And it's important that you note every time this word is used in 1 John, it is always used in the present tense, meaning it's describing the ongoing, continuous pattern of their life. It's not something that happened in the past. It's the ongoing everyday. The word walk could be defined like this, to live or behave in a specified manner, to conduct one's life, to live as a habit of conduct. Let me give it to you in a statement. Here's what your walk is. Your walk is the way you live your life. When you see the word walk, and I'm laying this down because for the next several weekends, we're going to be together walking through 1 John. And as we do that, we're going to see this word walk over and over and over again. And every time you read it, you literally could substitute in this phrase, the way you live your life or the way I live my life. Think about it this way. We read a minute ago, the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk, ought himself to live his life in the same manner as he lived his life. Walk. Let's read this out loud. Your walk is the way you live your life. Last weekend, Pastor Travis opened our study in the book of 1 John, this New Testament letter written by John, one of Jesus' closest disciples. 
And Pastor Travis told us last weekend that one of the major themes of 1 John is the transforming power of our relationship with God. That is so true. And so here's what we're going to do for the next seven weekends. For the next seven weekends, we are going to examine how our fellowship with God, our relationship with God, changes the way we walk or the way we live our lives. Specifically, as we walk through this chapter and into the next chapter of 1 John, we're going to look at how our fellowship with God affects our relationship to sin. We're going to look at how our fellowship with God affects our relationship to obedience. We're going to look at how our fellowship with God affects our relationships with other believers. And we're even going to talk about how our fellowship with God affects the way we relate to the world around us. Our fellowship with God changes the way we live our lives. So I want to jump in this morning, 1 John chapter 1. I want to pick up in verse 5 where we left off last weekend and read through verse 7. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you. That God is light. Very important phrase. Only three times in the New Testament is there a God is phrase. God is spirit is one of them. God is love is one of them. And then this one by 1 John, God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and yet walk, and yet the way we live our lives is in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk, if the way we live our lives is in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You know what point John is making here? John is making the point that the degree to which we fellowship with God dramatically impacts the way we live our lives. Let that sink in. The degree to which we fellowship with God dramatically impacts the way we live our lives. Let me give you a life lesson. This is just out of my own life, my own observation based on what the scripture says. Looking back at over 25 years in my own life of walking with Jesus, here's my life lesson. Everything, and you can underline the word everything, everything in my life rises and falls based on my fellowship with God. Everything, my victory over sin, my ability to obey God, 
my joy, my emotional health, my ability to lead, my ability to be a husband and father, everything in my life rises and falls based on my fellowship with God. Now, now you must understand as we dig into this today that there is a clear distinction between our relationship with God and our fellowship with God. If you know that, say amen. Clear distinction. Here's what I mean by that. I have a relationship with my children that does not change. They are my children. I am their dad. That is unchanging. That is a relationship that is established by birth. Nothing is ever going to change that. That is my relationship to my children. Fellowship's a whole other game, right? Fellowship, unlike the relationship that never changes, fellowship can change day by day. Hey, fellowship can change moment by moment. And as a dad, when the fellowship is disrupted, most of the time it's not because you want it to be disrupted, right? Now, because we're fallen, there are some times when it's disrupted because of us. But many times as a dad, it's disrupted because you're waiting on them to come to a point of repentance and reconciliation. The invitation's open for the fellowship to be restored. But there are some steps that need to be taken for that to happen. Moms and dads, if you, you get what I'm saying, say amen, right? Relationship and fellowship are not the same thing. Ray Stedman, a, a pastor who lived in Northern California, wrote this. Listen to what he said. You can never have fellowship until you have relationship. But you can certainly have relationship without fellowship. Relationship puts us into the family of God. But fellowship permits the life of the family to shine out through us. Relationship means that all God has is potentially yours. But fellowship means you are actually drawing upon his resources. Relationship is you possessing God. Fellowship is God possessing you. You see, relationship has been established through God's pursuit of you. I am his child today because of his pursuit of me. But fellowship is enjoyed as you respond in pursuit of him. Relationship and fellowship are not the same thing. Every Christian, every Christian has the same relationship with God. That's a good place to say amen. There are no second-class citizens in the family. You have the same relationship with God that I have. I have the same relationship with God that Billy Graham has. You know why? Because my relationship is not based on my performance. My relationship is based on my position in Jesus Christ. And all of us got in the family the same way. 
We all came in through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. We were sinners. We had separated ourselves from God. We needed to be forgiven. And God stepped in and did what only God could do. God sent his son Jesus. Jesus died on a cross for our sin. He rose again from the dead. And because of his death, burial, and resurrection, we can be forgiven of our sin and born again into the family of God. And the relationship that we have is eternal and unbelievable unchanging, meaning today as you sit here, here's your relationship with God. If you're a Christian, if you've been born again, here's your relationship. You are a loved and accepted child of the Father, and there's not one thing you have to do today to earn that. Relationship. But every believer does not have the same degree of fellowship with God. And that becomes evident in our walk. In the way we live our lives. And that's what John's writing about. We've all, through the relationship, been invited to enjoy fellowship. But we're not all pursuing fellowship the same way. And that's evidenced in our walk. So I want to ask and answer two questions. We'll be done this morning. Here's the first one. Who is our fellowship with Who is our fellowship with? Well, he tells us in these verses, if we say that we have fellowship with him, and the him he's addressing in verses 6 and 7, he identified in verse 5 as God himself. We have fellowship with God. Get that. You and I, because of Jesus, have been invited to enjoy fellowship with God. Wow! Now, we have all kind of misconceptions about this in our culture today in in Christianity in North America. Some people talk about God. You hear it often in sports. But but people talk about God like, like this. Yeah, the old man upstairs. And that shapes the way some people view their fellowship with God. They view God as some grandfatherly old man who wants everybody to just be happy and get along. And so we think fellowship with God means you drop by occasionally just to cheer him up, like you do with your granddad. Some people think that God is a genie in a bottle, that God somehow exists to grant all of my wishes. And my extent of fellowship with God is when I need something, I go and try to rub the bottle and get what I want from God. And that's what the fellowship looks like. But John, in introducing this letter, in writing this letter to us about the tremendous impact that fellowship has on the way we live our lives, says, hey, I don't want you to forget who you're fellowshipping with. God 
is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. That's the kind of phrase that should make us take our shoes off because we're standing on holy ground. We could spend weeks unpacking this phrase, God is light. We're not going to, but we could. The way John writes it here, John says in verse 5, this is the message we have heard. It's a tense in the Greek language that means we heard it back there in the past, but it's still ringing in our ear. John said, man, Jesus revealed this. We heard it, but we've not forgotten it. It's still ringing in our ears as I'm writing this to you. I've got to tell you what I've heard. God is light. Let me give you some implications of what this means. Number one, Light speaks to the glory of God. There's an Old Testament story that illustrates this. It's found in the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 33, I want you to listen to what Moses says to God. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. And he, God, said, that phrase by itself ought to make us go, wow. God said. Aren't you glad God said? God didn't have to said. It's not good English, but it's good theology. He didn't have to speak to us. God was under no obligation to make himself known to us. God didn't need us. We needed God. Moses said, I pray, show me your glory. And God said... I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. Good night. What if that happened today? What if God said, hey, I'm about to make all my goodness pass before you. Woo. Look what he says. And will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, God said, you cannot see my face. For no man can see me and live. Doesn't sound like an old man upstairs. Then the Lord said, Behold, there's a place by me. I'm telling you, man, this is good. You need to just read this sometime alone with God. Behold, there's a place by me. And you shall stand there on a rock. And it will come about while my glory is passing by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. What is that? That's grace. He didn't want to obliterate him. I'm going to cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will take my hand away and you shall see my back. 
but my face shall not be seen. <laughs> Listen, we don't have time to read it all this morning. You've got to go read it on your own. But, but chapter 30, that's the end of chapter 33. Chapter 34 tells us how all this played out. You get to read it. And, and while he's making himself known to Moses, he gives him this little thing called uh, the Ten Commandments. And at the end of chapter 34, here's what we read after this has taken place. Look at it. It came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand as he was coming down from the mountain that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone. You know what it means in Hebrew? Radiate light. Moses was radiating the glory of God. Why? Look at it. Because he'd been speaking with him. His fellowship with God changed the way he lived his life. He began to radiate the glory of God. Light speaks to the glory of God. Secondly, light speaks to the knowledge of God. Light exposes everything. It reveals. Last week, Christian and I went to see the hot new movie, La La Land, right? If you hadn't seen it yet, go see it. It's a revival of the old musical. What Christian and I love watching old musical, White Christmas, Singing in the Rain, Sound of Music. She's hooked me into all that stuff. I love it now. Well, La La Land is an old musical like that, and they're trying to revive that genre of motion pictures. They do an excellent job of it. We watch the movie, captivated by it. There's a twist at the end. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but it's awesome. You got to go see it. So, so we go see this movie. After the movie, we Walk out of the theater, I go in the bathroom, you know, that's what you do after you try to hold it through the whole movie, and then you, you sprint straight to the bathroom. And I get in the bathroom, and I look in the mirror, and I got popcorn all over my shirt. I'd probably been there an hour and a half, but I never noticed it until I got in the light. You see, in the darkness, none of that was obvious. But in the light, nobody had to tell me. <laughs> Ephesians 5.13, but all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. Because God is light, nothing is hidden from Him. He knows all truth. He exposes. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13 says. And there is no creature. The word creature is not talking about some Loch Ness monster. It's a word that means created being. It's talking about you and me. There is no created being hidden from his sight, but all things, this will make you feel uncomfortable, are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Light speaks to the knowledge of God. You know what that means? As we walk with Him, as we fellowship with Him, you know what's going to happen? He's going to show us some stuff we wouldn't see 
apart from fellowship with Him. Why are some Christians more sensitive about areas of sin in their lives? I'll tell you why. There's one reason. Fellowship. Light speaks to the holiness of God. A.W. Tozier says, God is absolutely holy with an infinite, incomprehensible fullness of purity that is incapable of being other than it is. He is the absolute quintessence of moral excellence, infinitely perfect in righteousness, purity, rectitude, and incomprehensible holiness. That's another way of saying God is really holy. He's so holy that the prophet Isaiah said when he saw the Lord sitting on his throne, that there were angels hovering around him in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3. And here's what they say. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. God is not some old man upstairs. God is not a genie in a bottle. God is holy. And holiness does not define God. God defines holiness. It belongs to him. He's holy. Light speaks to the life of God. John 1, 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And then in verse 4 it says, In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. One scholar said God is light means that God has as his very nature and being the source of all life. We could talk about this. Listen, it talks about his glory, his holiness, his knowledge, his life. And just in case you and I weren't zeroing in on the phrase God is light, John says in him there is no, and it's literally in the Greek language, a double negative, which isn't good in English. But it's good in Greek. In him there is not, no, any darkness at all. He's not mostly light. He is light. The God with whom we have been invited into intimate fellowship is filled with glory. He knows everything. He's absolutely holy and he is the source of real life. You cannot have fellowship with that God and it not change the way you walk. So here's the last question. We'll be done. So how's my walk? How's your walk? That's who God is. We've been invited to fellowship with Him. So how's your walk? Let's read it again. Verse 6 and 7. Look what he says. If we say... 
Oh, I got my, my fellowship with God is good. Me and God are good. If we say, it's conditional. If I say, I have fellowship with Him. And yet, I walk in darkness. You lie. That's a strong word. I didn't say it. John said it. You lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So, so it begs the question. Well, if we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, what does it mean to walk in darkness? Preacher, help, help me know if I'm living in that arena this morning. Again, let me read Ray Stedman. I thought he said it beautifully. Listen to what he said. To walk in darkness means to walk as though there were no God. For God is light. It is to be a practical atheist. Not an actual one, of course. We believe there is a God. We know He's there. But we live as though He does not exist. We do not expose ourselves to Him. That is walking in darkness. Let me give it to you in a statement. To walk in darkness is to live apart from fellowship with God. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you living a lie? Is the reality of who God is, His glory, His knowledge, His holiness, His life, is the reality of who God is changing your life moment by moment and day by day? You see, we've settled. We've settled for something that is far less than the glorious reality that God has invited us into. We've compartmentalized our fellowship with God. We think, well, I go to church on Sunday, and I pray before I leave my house so me and God are good. But then we leave God in that box And we live the rest of our lives as though he does not exist. You know what that is? It's walking in darkness. My mentor, Clyde Cranford, nailed it. Listen to what he said. We as Christians have the awesome privilege of living in the reality of God. Yet the average Christian lives to a great extent as if there were no God. We think we can leave God in a sacred corner. And run off into the shadows to do what we please. Returning undetected and unscathed by sin. But sin separates us from God within ourselves. And we fall prey to our own deception. 
If I think because, yeah, on Sunday I go worship God and then I pray before I leave my house that somehow I've tipped my hat to the old man upstairs and all the rest of life is up to me to do what I want to with it. It's walking in darkness. And here's what he says. You're lying. You're lying to others and you're lying to yourself. He wants more. So what does it mean to walk in the light? Here it is. To walk in the light is to live life in constant fellowship with God. Yes, we come on Sundays to worship God. Yes, we have God time every morning where we pray and read His Word. But that's only the tip of the iceberg of fellowship with the Father. Fellowship with God is carried. Well, what about that? What if you go to work with God? What do you mean? Do I have to go to work at a church? Is that what you're talking about? No, 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 no. That's not what I'm talking about. Go to work with God. What if as you work tomorrow, you work out of the overflow of fellowship with God? As circumstances and situations come up in your day, you carry it to the Lord. You talk with God. You communicate with your Father. You say, well, if I go to work with God, then... uh, uh, I can't say some stuff that I normally say at work. Aha! Walk! Oh, if I go to work with God, I may, I may have to hang with some different people around the water cooler. Aha! My fellowship with God changes the way I walk. What if we go to the movies with God? You say, God likes movies? <laughs> Who do you think gave us the creative ability that we have to create that kind of thing? We didn't come up with that on our own. What if we go to the movies with God? Oh, well, if I'm going to the movies with God, I'm about to change my movies. <laughs> Aha! If we say... I'm walking in fellowship with God. And then at work, at the movie theater, at the ball field, at Walmart. God help us at Walmart. There might be times at Walmart you need to get down on your knees and talk to God. What if you hang with your friends with God? Well, that may change the friends I hang out with. (laughs) Aha! Here's the thing. It's not do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs, rules and rituals. No, it's understand who God is. Live in fellowship with Him. Let the light guide you. And when He shows you something... Respond to it. And listen, he may show somebody else something a little bit different, an area of conviction, than he shows you. That's okay. He's God. 
He knows how you're wired. He, there are convictions I have in my life that other people don't have to have the same convictions, but God knows my wiring. God knows the weakness of my flesh. God knows the tendency of my own heart, and God has led me to some stuff to protect me that doesn't have anything to do with you. Let me tell you where it comes from. Fellowship with Him. Clyde, my mentor, said it this way. Part of our enjoyment of God is enjoying every aspect of His creation in His company and in His fellowship. What if you just started everything you do, you just do it with God? You know what that is? That's that's walking in the light. Your hobbies, your job, your relationships, your hanging out, your free time, your church time, your God time. It's all God time. This doesn't mean that at work you're down on your knees behind your desk every day with your Bible open. That's not what I'm talking about. You just live moment by moment with an awareness of God and God's awareness of you and know that the lines of communication are always open. And I'll close with this. You know what you get when you do this? Peace. Peace. That's why he says, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the one another is our relationship with God and our relationship with others. There's peace in those relationships. Why? Because I'm walking in the light. And then he says, the blood of his son cleanses us from all sin. You know what that is? It's real confidence before God. It's the absence of guilt. You know why there's guilt? You know why the enemy loves to use our guilt to shame us? Because he knows if he can do that, he can cut off our fellowship with God. You know why sometimes your kids don't want to be around your mom and dad? They feel guilty. And that guilt causes them to distance themselves. But if we're walking in the light, doesn't mean we're not going to sin. We're not going to mess up. We are. We're going to sin. But as soon as we do, guess what? The light says... And we're going to talk about this next weekend. What do you do with it when he does? Here's what you do with it. Yep, you're right. I'm wrong. Let's put that behind us. Jesus already died for that. That's done. I don't have to let that come between us. How's your walk? Our fellowship with God impacts the way we live our lives. Let's pray. Father, this morning would you speak as only you can. Lord, as the light, would you come right now and just expose and reveal what needs to be exposed and revealed? Just a moment. As you sit there with your heads bowed, just talking to the Lord, just a moment, our worship team's going to come and lead us in a song of response. And as we respond to what we've heard God say this morning, I want you to think about two questions. First question is very simple Do you have a relationship with God? 
Listen, if you don't have a relationship with God, that's found in Jesus. Jesus died on the cross and rose again so that you could be forgiven and have an eternal, unchanging relationship with God. If you don't know God today, listen. I invite you when we stand in a moment to come. We're going to have some pastors here at the front with me. You come to one of these pastors and simply say, I need Jesus. And we'll have somebody sit down with you and open a Bible and show you how you can begin a relationship with God. Do you have a relationship with God? But Here's the second question. If you're here today and you do have a relationship with God as a Christian, how's your fellowship? You got God in a corner? A Sunday morning, early morning, sacred corner? Are you walking in the light? These altars are going to be open. If you want to come do business with God, these pastors are here. If you need us to pray over you, maybe something in your job, your health, your family, your relationship, we want to pray with you. You respond as God speaks. Lord, have your way. Holy Spirit of God, in this moment, would you move among us? We give it to you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.